Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to BlackTalkRadioNetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. There's this psychiatrist, a lady named Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. She has a theory about the black man in America. She says that because of the system of racism, the black man in this country has been made to think of himself as a baby, a not yet fully formed being who has not realized his full potential. To support her claim, she offers the following. First off, what does a black man call his woman? Mama. Secondly, what does a black man call his closest acquaintances? His boys. And finally, what does a black man call his place of residence? The crib. Context of white supremacy, Gusty Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Wednesday, May 15, 2019. So I have been told 
Uh, before we get to business at hand, Cal's 2019 10-year anniversary yoga retreat. Uh, if folks are available Labor Day weekend, that would be August 29. That's a Thursday through that Sunday, which is September 1. Southern California, Lake Arrowhead, four days, three nights, yoga, morning yoga, evening yoga, all meals included, all plant-based meals, private lake, lots of counter-racist discussions, counter-racist workshops, and I'm sure we'll make time to discuss workplace racism. If you are interested in participating, drop me an email. Uh, first deposit is due the end of the first week of June. So you have a little less than a month for the initial deposit. $400, non-refundable. Again, four days, three nights, plant-based meals, a.m., evening, yoga, every day. Looking forward to having, hopefully, relaxing, rejuvenating time uh, and investing in self-care while ending the summer on a constructive note. Uh, again, drop an email untiljustice at gmail.com if you are interested in joining us. Business at hand, uh, we've been discussing the passing of John Singleton. Uh, film director, victim of white supremacy. Uh, he died at the age of 51, which I've said uh, for the entire time uh, is a total disgrace and an indictment of the system of white supremacy, uh, which will continue to happen where you'll have black people uh, who are having all these unnecessary health problems uh, in response to the system of racism. So if we want a full, vital, joyful quality of life, long quality of life, uh, then we'll have to go about the business of putting racist man, racist woman, racist child out of business. But today, taking time to review uh, the life and film work of John Singleton, uh, his importance and what he tried to convey uh, with his pretty immense body of work. That's something I've talked about for years on the broadcast uh, to look at people's entire uh, body of work uh, when you can, when you make an evaluation, if we're talking about an author, a filmmaker, whatever it happens to be, painter, artist, excuse me. Uh, before I, I move forward, I will say that having to review some of Mr. Singleton's work uh, in preparing for today's broadcast, I was reminded, uh, yours truly, I do have a code uh, about cinema I've shared for quite some time. I think this came up most recently with all of the hoo-ha over uh, Marvel's Black Panther from 2018, a film I still have not seen. Uh, and I said, unequivocally, films that have a substantial number of black people, uh, once the focus, you know, the main focus, the main actors, actresses are black people, uh, if that's the main cast, I'm probably not going to be interested because it's going to be reinforcing a lot of racism, generally speaking, a lot of racist stereotypes, generally speaking, without fail. As I've been watching all of these films uh, over the past, you know, few weeks or so, I was reminded of that bit of codification because I generally don't watch <laughs> films that have a lot of black people. Why I have that piece of codification. So while we're discussing today's broadcast, Folks that are listening live, 
if you have a film, it doesn't necessarily have to be directed by a black person per se, but the main cast of characters are black. The main actor, the main actress, black female, black male. If you can think of a film that has come out in the last 25 years, so we're talking 1994 to current, 2019. If you can think of a film over that quarter century span that focuses on black people specifically, predominantly black cast, that is <laughs> not something that will make you nauseous by the end, something that is not precious, something that is not soul-pulling, something that you see it and it's, wow, what a constructive representation of black people. That is just a great film. And I feel great about black people and how we're responding to racism, white supremacy. If you can think of such a film, let me know. Over the past 25 years, I, I have been thinking for hours now, and I have one bamboos and it can't be a documentary that was the the parameters documentaries are excluded i would have a much longer uh larger list no documentaries no television shows these are just feature length films there i'm sure there are some independent films that have escaped me over the last quarter century or a web independent web film that i would have absolutely loved and probably will love if i get an opportunity to see it but if you can think of something last 25 years let us know during the course of the dialogue. The number 605-313-5164. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again, 605-313-5164. Six four, the code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Woo. Our guest for today's broadcast to help us with our examination uh, of the life and work of Mr. John Singleton. Uh, he's been a guest uh, with us before, most recently 2016. Uh, lots of listeners were already familiar with his work and were pleased uh, when he came to hang out with us the first time around. Uh, that is how he invests a great deal of his time and energy researching the history of white supremacy, racism in cinema, uh, as well as black filmmakers, black artists, uh, their efforts uh, to really counter the white supremacy racism of Hollywood, uh, making their own films, a la John Singleton. I uh, thought it would be great to have him with us on the prog uh, program today. In addition to being willing to share some of his time and insight uh, for this Wednesday evening, he was super patient because I got confused with my dates. I was thinking Wednesday the 15th, uh, but I was sending Tuesday, uh, and I think I even might have had Wednesday the 14th, so I was all uh, erroneous with my dates, and he was even patient with us through that. Always a hoot to have him back on the program and really looking forward to our dialogue uh, for this evening. Uh, joining us for the second time, our guest, Mr. Charles, the Professor Woods. Uh, Mr. Woods, you are with us, sir? Gus, how are you? 
Right poorly, but we are so glad to have you back with us live. Uh, good to hear from you, Mr. Woods. How are you? Um, day by day, Gus. Uh, you know, thanks for the invite. Uh, I'm humbled by it. Uh, my strength is not the way I would want it to be, but, you know, day by day, you know, that, that retreat sounds great. You know, I would advise everyone, take stock of your life. Uh, do the right thing with your body. Your, your body is your temple, and uh, eat right because uh, what you put into your body is it's going to pay off. If you put the right things in your body, it's going to work for you rather than work against you. So that's important. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I hope. I know you were saying you were dealing with your health before, as probably all of us are in one way or another. Uh, taking care of black John Singleton passed away at the age of 51 i'll just say it again that is a disgrace and an indictment of white supremacy that is the plan to have black people in really poor health uh anything you would like to uh share with listeners in case this might be their first time hearing from you mr woods just who you are and the work you do briefly well uh i'm an archivist uh historian i've been studying film for I'm 70 now. When when John Singleton came into this world, he came two decades after I was born in 48. And um, around, I'd say around 10 years old, I was uh, an only child and I started, uh, I grew up on television. If, if, if you don't mind, I'll just go into what it was like for me growing up. I grew up an only child. I had a father that never acknowledged he was my father. I don't. I won't go into that. But I was an only child, and my uh, company, my brothers and sisters, role models were people I saw on TV. And um, you know, I always talk about there's a thing you get when you get older as a part of the schema of growing up, the experience of growing up you get what is called adult discount. That's where you have the ability to discount what's right, what's wrong. But as a child, you do not have that. You only have uh, what you're exposed to in terms of what's right or wrong. But I grew up on TV, and not until I got older did I realize that I was growing up wanting to be white because that's all I saw on TV. All my heroes, all my sheroes were white. And that's something that uh, for my generation, you know, people have to, to take stock of just what that, that entails for the psyche of young black boys and girls. And people think times have changed and things have improved because uh, later on, uh, kids growing up, they had... Uh, Bill Cosby's Cosby show, and then you had uh, Bill Cosby and I Spy. You had Black Hills and whatnot. But just bring it on up to, uh, you mentioned the Black Panther, the movie. All of these images, and I do not, I'll tell you this, Gus, I do not get a lot of people who agree with me because a lot of times when you point things out, people think you're attacking their 
perspective, their, their, their intelligence. But what we get in motion pictures, I am putting a book together, a number of books. But the one book I'm working on is my masterpiece. It's technology in motion pictures and how that screen, that cinema, how uh, a quote that's attributed to Lenin, where he said of all the arts, the most important is the cinema. That screen teaches to this day that black is supreme and no, black is, is, is inferior and white is supreme. That still continues to this day. And that's, I've been studying, I've been collecting and, and um, when it struck me about how cinema colonizes our minds to see only whiteness as the desired goal Whiteness has been normalized, and it's in it's encoded in cinema to this day. And people, when they go to see these movies and they see black heroes and sheroes, they don't see um, that codification because years ago the sensitivity was they didn't give a damn what black people thought or how they felt, but then when it was exposed and it was undeniable, the technology, the racism, rather than be overt, it became more covert. And so what we have in essence is a more covert version of what we got in the media when I was growing up. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, Hopefully we can pick apart some of that as we sift through uh, Mr. Singleton's film work. Again, uh, our guest, Charles, the Professor Woods, context of white supremacy. And I thought that was uh, so important in terms of uh, the weaponization of entertainment, cinema, television, uh, and how it's constantly sending that message. White, supreme, black, inferior, subordinate to white. And I think that uh, comes through even in uh, the films that are awarded and given high distribution and all the rest in the films that struggle for distribution, like Bamboozled, did not get high level distribution. I think a lot of people didn't see it because it wasn't even in theaters, came out in 1999, uh, as opposed to a film like John Singleton's Hustle and Flow, came out in 2005. And the song that we started with at the beginning, Hard Out Here on a Pimp, Three Six Mafia won an Academy Award. I would say stark difference, but we'll get through all of that as we move through. Uh, You gave your age reference and talked about growing up where in an environment where television was just starting out. You didn't have Netflix and all these channels. A few shows on that everybody watched. No black people at all. And maybe you get lucky and get to see Bill Cosby every once in a while or a few others. Uh, Can you talk about how the progression in your life by the time we get to 1991 you have John Singleton at 23, not just the, the first black director to be nominated for an Academy Award for Boys in the Hood, but comes out at 23 with this film, predominant black cast, Lawrence Fishburne, Angela Bassett, uh, Regina King, Morris Chestnut, Cuba Gooding Jr. Can you can you talk about your recollections when Boys in the Hood was released in 1991? And just for context, so just for context. Released in 1991 in July, so this is four months 
after the beating of Rodney King less than a year before the so-called riots when Boys in the Hood was released the summer of 1991. Can you remember when that film was released? Well, I, I believe when they uh, were doing that film, the, the, the rioting was going on when they were filming it. But I remember going to see it, and, and like so many people uh, in the theater, it was it was um, it was a well made film. It was something that we we uh, we could you know in ninety uh, one. You're talking about uh, let's see, I'm f- 58, 50, 60, 78. Wow, I'm in my forties <laughs> when I saw that. But you think back what it was like growing up. But you heard you know when we were coming up. I grew up in New York, and the tough areas when I grew up were um, Brownsville. I grew up in Brownsville, and, um, you know, Harlem was tough, but we heard about the gangs. And um, seeing South Central, what the revelation was, you know, in New York, the projects were big big buildings, because I used to go stay with my... um, my aunts and uncles, and they, they were living in the projects because my mother, uh, I lost my mother when I was 14. And so seeing these kids grow up, and you would think everyone uh, who was turning the crime, maybe they grew up in some kind of a, a dilapidated, urbanized setting where it was a whole lot of people in, in um, a housing project. But uh, just seeing the, the way those houses were, that was a, uh, a shock for for me. And, and a lot of times what happens is, um, you know, you, you jump to conclusions. You don't investigate things. But with Singleton's uh, Boys in the Hood, he wrote from his experience. And seeing that, I think a lot of black people who are, you know, familiar with, um, you know, you had colors that came out in 88 about the gangs, but to see uh, him give that background and see what it was like and how he had, um, you know, this, from his experience, his, he didn't stay with his, his mom and dad at the same time. They they were separated. He was with his dad, uh, which was the, um, the character that Lawrence Fishburne played. But he was fortunate to have a strong father. That's what the, the message in that film was a strong father to kind of shelter him from going out in the streets and getting caught up in the gang. But to see what happened to his brother, that was, that was tragic. It was, it was gut wrenching. And, um, that film started a wave because it was so well received, so respected. And he knocked the, the King, Orson Welles. He, 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 he knocked Orson Welles out of the box because the renowned Orson Welles was at that time the youngest and uh, director to be nominated for an Oscar. So that was um, a groundbreaking film, and um, John Singleton did it very well. Because one of the things that was unique about John Singleton, he was an award-winning writer. His writing was very, very, very good. So coupling that with, uh, you know, they didn't want him to direct that film. They, 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 they had him, you know, he was recognized for his writing, but being a, a new 
person on, you know, coming to the art form, they wanted someone else to direct it. But he said, no, I'll be, that's, that's my baby. I want to do it. And so they, they uh, I think it was Columbia Pictures, uh, they relented and they let him do it. And the rest is history. Context of white supremacy. Uh, I think it's hugely important. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, the father and voice in the hood and Cuba Gooding Jr., the son uh, in that role. I think it's that's one of the critical relationships uh, showing the father son dynamic, black father, black son. You have the huge dynamic that continues to a one nine that black fathers don't take care of their children and are not vested uh, in their children. So to have this on the big screen, uh, I think that was hugely important uh, to him to portray that, to see them out fishing. I mean, how many, how many times even today do you get to see that type of uh, scene where it's not, you know, laugh, laugh, joke, joke, uh, just a father and son out having a conversation about, life and, and growing up, him attempting to parent. Um, I, the question I wanted to ask, I wanted to see if I can get a, a sound clip in here before you give us your response. Uh, you talked about <clears throat> the significance of this film coming out in, in 1991. As I said, four months after the beating of Rod, the now deceased Rodney King, he passed away in 2012. Um, Mr. Singleton being nominated for an Academy Award uh, he was the first uh, black director uh, nominated for an Academy Award in 64 years. Uh, he was the youngest, uh, beating out, as you said, Mr. Wells. Uh, the question that I wanted to ask, I'll get my, my sound clip in first. Uh, the sound clip that I wanted to play, this is from Boys in the Hood. Uh, this is, uh, I think, one of the more iconic scenes from the film. Uh, this is the scene when Cuba Gooding Jr., and Maurice Chestnut, they have been stopped by enforcement officials. Again, this is coming out literally months after Rodney King. Uh, so they get stopped by enforcement officials and a black police officer uh, gets rough with Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character. This is that scene from Boys in the Hood. And then I'll get my question in after it's done. Got any drugs or weapons on you? No. I didn't do nothing. You think you're tough. You think you're tough, huh? Oh. <laughs> you're scared now, huh? I like that. That's why I took this job. I hate little motherfuckers like you. Little niggas, you ain't shit. Think you're tough, huh? Blow your head off this mythos and you couldn't do shit. How you feel now? What set you from? Look like one of them Crenshaw Mafia motherfuckers. No, you probably went and rolled in 60s, huh? Huh? Well, Adam 63, we have a possible 187 in Blue VW at Corno Florence in Vermont. Again, a possible 187 in the VW at the corner of Florence in Vermont. Stay out of trouble. You gentlemen have a nice evening, man. Yeah. So Cuba Gooding Jr. goes off to Neil Long to recuperate after that traumatic experience. Uh, what is the uh, significance of... Because there is, there are two officers there. There's a white officer there who remains mute the entire time. 
He does not say a word during this entire exchange. He just looks and then they leave. What is the significance of having all of the terrorism in this scene coming from a black officer, not a white officer? Again, this is four months after the beating of Rodney King. Well, to be honest with you, Gus, and I'll explain that if we have time later on, but it's important that we realize that cinema, as we know it, it's coming out of the context of white supremacy. And when you talk about the tragedy of, of John Singleton dying so young, I have to uh, differ with you. I don't think, relatively speaking, John Singleton had a large body of work. When you, when you, you look at the films he did, he didn't do many. And that's a testament to, I think, he was more serious than a lot of uh, these hacks. And I'm not saying he's a hack, but uh, people who've become hacks, they're just putting stuff out there that don't mean a thing. But the point I want to make is sometimes the people who are greenlighting these films, they go back and forth over who should be the one to to um, deliver this this um, this image to portray this image of the tough, no nonsense cop. If they had a white cop do it, they're thinking, what would we be the reaction in the movie audience? So sometimes what happens is, for reasons of being politically more correct and safer, they'll have a black cop as opposed to a white cop, do this thing. And I'll explain how that same thing happens in other films. It's out of political correctness and the fear of what's the safer road to take with respect to this kind of portraiture. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I... I guess let's let me make sure that I'm I am when you say the safer road and and not being sure how the audience would respond do you mean white audience goers uh non-white black audience goers everybody uh and safe from what exactly what would be the harm in showing uh a white officer saying those type of things calling a black a black motorist a nigger and asking if he had drugs what would be the harm in in showing or why would that be unsafe to portray that at that time 1991 well, let's go back to your statement. You said that the Rodney King incident happened just, what, four months prior to that? Yes, sir. And that's on the consciousness that's in the heads of a lot of people. And, and so what happens is, you see, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, um, you know, he just recently said, you know, filmmakers... They are interpreters of history, not chroniclers of history. Okay? Um, they will decide, the people in the boardroom will decide, no, I'm, I'm not going to have that done. We, don't, we, we shouldn't have the white cop do it. It's too close to what just happened where riots went off and everything like that. We're not, gonna, we're not going to do that. And I can bring up two films to make my point. Mississippi Burning and Rosewood, which we'll get to, that was uh, done by John Singleton. 
they have characters that are created to make things about the total totality of the film much more palatable for the audience as a whole. See, when they make these films, a lot of times uh, you take a film like um, Boys in the Hood. Was it made for the black audience or was it made for the general audience? Were they looking to have the general audience come see it or were they just targeting the black audience? That makes a difference. See, black exploitation was not made for white audiences. Okay, so with black exploitation, you could have the white cop do that, and then you have somebody come along and beat the hell out of them because they didn't give a damn about white folk being upset. Black exploitation was made for black audiences. So, if I'm understanding you, do you think Boys in the Hood? There may have been certain people certain white people involved with this film who said, hey, look here, John, we'll make your film, but we just had, you know, that Rodney fella, he was beaten out there speeding, just had that beating, things are hot, we don't want the, and I do want to make sure I get in, there were, I don't know if there were, there was rioting in 1991 yet about Rodney King, people certainly were aware the video was out, but the trial hadn't taken place, that was a year later, so I don't know if there was quote unquote mm-hmm. rioting, but there were a lot of reports that there was violence at the theaters. I do remember that being a big theme, and I am very sure you can find articles, because I read some today, where they referenced this. And they even talked to Mr. Singleton about it, where there was, you know, oh my gosh, the Negroes are going crazy. They're going to the theaters and shooting at the screen. And th- do you remember all of that? Well, I mean, the same thing when, when um, Do the Right Thing came out. Remember, they right. said this was going to uh, promote uh, riots. Right, yep, yep. Yep, okay, I, so th- there is a concern. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of a film called The Liberation of L.B. Jones. Yes, sir. Okay. Do you know what happened when that film came out? No, sir. Okay. And that's another film I, I wasn't even thinking about discussing uh, to make my point. I have, uh, I single out in film, they have what I call the cathartic character. The cathartic character exists so that Someone is in the film whom black people can say, well, damn, uh, are we going to sit through this nonsense? Is there no one to take up our cause? So they'll create a cathartic character to make the, 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 um, the heinous savagery that's being um, perpetrated against blacks to be more palatable, and then to give you that way out where you can feel good about yourself because you had a black character do something that was heroic. Hmm. And that's the man character in um, Rosewood and in The Liberation of L.B. Jones. They had to go around. Yafet Kodo was in the film. Lola Falana, it was based on a true story, uh, Brother Gus, based on a true story. And for the audience, they can look it up. But what that story was about was a white cop coming into a black man's house with the black man there and having sex with his wife. And that's a film that did not last long because black people said, get this out of here. There were threats of bombing 
the theaters if they continued to show that film. But Yafet Kodo achieved cinematic history in that film because in a major film, a major motion picture, that was the last film directed by William Wyler, he's recognized as the first black man in a major release film to kill a white law officer. Fascinating. Uh, the the cathartic uh, character mm-hmm. that you mentioned, or at least a, a release, and I, I will have to be very honest, uh, for Boys in the Hood, uh, it mm-hmm. certainly was not made for me. Uh, for that film, I can see why white people in a system of white supremacy would nominate that film for an Academy Award. The amount of violence directed at black people, and it's not just the shooting violence, uh, it's just the way that the characters talk to one another, just almost everything about the film, the music that's being listened to, even the way that they play dominoes. Like when Doughboy, that's Ice Cube's character, he gets home and they're slamming the dominoes down on the table so hard it could break the tip. Just everything about it is is violent uh, in the film. The violence, black people being violent with other black people. Like there's so much of that that you have to consume to get through that film. Um, I don't know that there's much cathartic where you get to feel good about any of the characters because they die. <laughs> you don't really get to feel good about many of the characters or anything like that. I can totally see why racists would love that type of film. In addition to all of the violence, most, uh, well, I won't say most, but you have a substantial number of characters in that film who do not have a lot of constructive things to say. Most of what they say is filth uh, and nasty comments directed at another black person. Like, does that make sense in terms of what I'm saying? Why racists, I think, would very much enjoy and promote a film like that? Well, it, it, see, <laughs> Gus, you're doing this, okay? And doing this, and you're serious about it, you're studying, and when you study things, you start seeing things, all right? What I'm trying to explain to people is that, and, and, and hear me well, I'm not trying to demean, diminish the artistry of anyone, a Spike Lee or whom we're speaking about specifically tonight, the body of work of our late John Singleton. John Singleton did what he did in the context of white supremacy. And the people who decide if this should be nominated for an Oscar, promoted as, you know, it went on uh, recently on the National Registry as something culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. There are people who decide that. But what films fall under that category is what is the thing, the theme that runs through most of the stuff we get that, that's put out there. And it's, I always think of what Ishmael Reed said. Black dysfunction is big business for America. You hear me? Crystal, Mr. Uh, Mr. Woods, Crystal. Uh, I think the phrasing that I generally use is uh, Negro trauma 
dramas. Uh, I have applied that phrase. I have applied that phrase to Boys in the Hood. Uh, I can walk through Mr. Singleton's library, who is a victim of racism. I certainly am not disparaging him or anything. I underline, highlight what you just said. In a in the context of white supremacy, there are white people who decide whether Mr. Singleton's film is going to be made or not. Uh, he are, he talked about that. Yes. They didn't even want him to direct uh, Boys in the Hood at first. They were just going to give him some cash yes. and get another presumably white person to come in and direct the film. And he had to stand firm and say, no, I'm going to direct this film myself. I wrote it. I got it. But I mean, that is the system. So a lot of these things, it might not even be his decision. Like you were saying about that scene with the black enforcement official. That might not have even been what he had written originally. White people might have come exactly. in and said, oh, no, <laughs> that's not what it's going to be. We're going to have the black cop call him a nigger and, in fact, say it two times. And then, yeah, we'll go ahead and green light and everybody gets paid. No problem. A film like Poetic Justice, he did not get Academy Awards. All those nominations came out two years later. Uh, it features uh, Dr. The Late, Dr. Maya Angelou. Uh, Regina King is in this one. He did a lot to line. That's one thing I will say. Make sure it doesn't seem like I'm just, you know, disparaging his work. Can you talk about, because I mm -hmm. think he did a lot of work uh, growing black, really black careers, like people that ended up winning, you know, Academy Award, Cuba Gooding Jr. Like that was a big role for him early in his career. Regina King, she uh, was in many of his uh, films, Boys in the Hood, uh, Higher Learning, uh, poetic Justice uh, before she became an even bigger star. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne, Angela Bassett, Morris Chestnut. He had a lot, even uh, Taraji P. Henson. She was in a lot of uh, his earlier uh, Baby Boy. She was also in Hustle and Flow before she became a big star now on Empire and a lot of other series. Can you talk about how he really helped do a lot for a lot of young, Nia Long, I forgot all about her. Can you talk about how he did so much to, I think, grow a lot of young black talent? Well, the thing is, uh, you know, Tupac Shakur was uh, at the head of consideration for many of the parts that, that, you know, went to someone else because Tupac stayed in trouble so much. But had he not, I mean, his genius on screen would uh, look how we lost that. But... Um, Singleton, he used a lot of the rappers, Ice Cube. Uh, Snoop Dogg. Well, Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg was in... Um, Higher Learning. Baby Boy. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? Uh, okay. Um, but, you know, yeah, he, you know, a lot of these stars, he, he was... You know, what happens is you develop... Um, what happens is people like working with you, you like working with them. Because I'll tell you later on, when when I told you, I, I made the point, he he doesn't have a large body of work. And when you look, just before he died, his, he he looked much older than 51. And um, and I'm I'm looking and I'm saying that that looks like this guy, John Singleton. Comparatively speaking, with other people out there. And, and none of them have had the critical acclaim he's had. And he, I think he got so frustrated because when you look at what he attempted to do, Gus, you could see he was serious. But the frustration in a white supremacy context is that 
you know what you want to do ideologically. You're prevented from doing it. It's debilitating. It eats at you. You know his, what his biggest film was, money-wise? Hustle and Flow, I'm guessing. Too Fast, Too Furious. Oh, yeah. Could have, should have known. Should okay. Have known. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, and Hustle and Flow, is, is, he didn't even direct it. He was producer. And at, at, a, at a certain point, he stopped writing. And he went into doing more um, work as, as, you know, producing. You know, he, what, Wu was one of his productions. Uh, and and, and um, it, 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 it's just, I'm thinking he got so frustrated. For example, when he was doing Chef with Sam Jackson, they were fighting. And um, they say he got so fed up, he stayed in his trailer, wouldn't come out. He didn't want to deal with the noise. And he took a lot of heat. And, 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 and when, when Chef came out, the film was attacked from everyone. And you even had people who complained Chef was so emasculated, he looked nothing like the Chef that Richard Roundtree played. Because one of the things they, in, in this society that scares uh, white people to death is uh, black man's masculinity, and that's what Dr. Francis Cress Welding talks about. So, you know, and with baby boys, the emasculation. And I have a thing where I talk about it's, it's, uh, not only what Francis Cress Welding talks about, is what came out in the Willie Lynch letter. You know, it's the, the black male is the biggest fear. And, 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 and just to finish my point about the cathartic figure, the if, if, if you want to have a cathartic figure where you say, where, where does it exist in Boys in the Hood? I would say it's Furious Styles. Because the dysfunction we, we mentioned earlier, or you said, um, how do you phrase it? The drama, drama, the, the trauma, drama. One of the things we constantly get in film is you do not have the black man, black woman relationships. So in Boys in the Hood, who's raising him is uh, Lawrence Fishburne. And there's a point in the film where um, Angela Bassett is saying, well, I want him back. You had him, now I want him back. And, and uh, uh, Lawrence Fishburne says, well, you know, uh, you know, he's getting to a point where he can make his own decision. I've raised him. Yeah, you did a good job like most men wouldn't do. So he becomes, when we, when, when we think about the, the noble savage image, he becomes that exceptional black. It's not all black men. He's one of those real black men. You get my point? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, what film, that's what film does, Gus. That's what cinema does. Cinema, you know, uh, what do they use the term? Pop culture? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, I call pop culture, P-O-P, the perpetuation 
P stands for the perpetuation, O for of, and P for passivity. Motion pictures perpetuate our passivity where we accept this nonsense. We see it as, as innocent entertainment, but we don't know what the entertainment really means, that we are seduced and enter the tainment, which is our detainment and containment, so that we just support and sustain the status quo, and we continue to allow this system to oppress us. Mm. Context of white supremacy. Again, our guest, Charles the Professor Woods. <clears throat> if you have a question, comment, we're reviewing the life and works, uh, the victim of white supremacy, Mr. John Singleton. Uh, the number six zero five three one three five one six four. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, I think that a huge theme uh, throughout the work of Mr. Singleton. Uh, whether he directed, produced films that he was involved with in a significant way. Violence seems to be a major theme, and I would say it's specific uh, violence against the black people and violence against black males. Uh, violence in general, but violence against black males. Uh, that is presented in so many different ways uh, in his film. I think it's, it's flagrantly there in Boys in the Hood, uh, it's flagrantly there in Baby Boy, which we can talk about later. Uh, it's flagrantly there even in Higher Learning. Uh, they have the scene where uh, Omar Epps' character is talking to Tyra Bank. That would be two more right there. <laughs> young actors. They were very young in their careers. Uh, this is 1995, I think, when Higher Learning uh, was produced. Uh, and there you go, two of the main uh, stars of the film. Uh, but they are having a conversation about how they experience white supremacy at Columbus University. That's another theme uh, because they have the scene in Boys in the Hood where they're talking about Christopher Columbus and the natives and what they did with the pilgrims. And then the university, higher learning, the setting is Columbus University. Anyway, but Omar Epps' character, he's having a conversation with his girlfriend, Tyra Banks, and he says, I'm a black male and the way that they look at me and uh, I'm a threat. And, and she says, oh, well, you think I don't experience racism? You know, anytime those white girls that I'm roommates with, if something disappears, they think I stole it and blah, blah, blah. And he comes back and he says, uh, whether I'm educated or not, I'm still a threat. And that kind of ends the uh, conversation. But uh, just I guess, can you can you talk about because that seems to be one element uh, that is huge. Uh the threat that the black male represents and, and the, I guess, vulnerability, violence and vulnerability of black male character. I think even Tupac's character in, in Poetic Justice, uh, same thing. Can you uh, speak to that? Well, I mean, this is Singleton. Um, you know, many people saw the thread from Boys in the Hood and then through um, Baby Boy and, um, you know, the where it's like, a continuation. Then you have higher learning, and you mentioned the the Columbus thing. That was that was uh, 
Singleton's codifying the hypocrisy of America. You know, we we have um, the celebration of this savage, Christopher Columbus. They, so, you know, what he's saying in, in higher learning, they even name a, a college after him, you know, but and, and, and he killed all these Native Americans and things like that. But but um, what what happens is, to his credit, there are things he's saying, and, and it may go over the head of a lot of people because what happens is the the people who are greenlighting these movies, you know, little uh, little is known that a lot of these films got greenlighted because of the popularity of rap music. And the other thing is what these films, to the the, the um, delight of the people who run this system, is that it's promoting violence. It's promoting um, black-on-black genocide. That's, you know, if someone's saying uh, sugar's no good for you, but every time your kids watch TV, they're being sold on mommy. I want, I want you to buy me a box of this cereal, and the cereal's loaded with sugar. These people who run the system, they don't care about what is happening to you, the oppressed, so long as you can be exploited and that they can continue the system that works for them at your expense. Capitalism and, and, and white supremacy is based on uh, exploitation, you know. But, um, yeah, the, the violence is popularized. What we, what we like, what we think we like, oh, I'm going to go see this movie. You, and I'm going to answer your question. You, you, you asked about what, what film with a predominant black cast was a well-made film. Well, that wasn't uh, the one. specific question that I asked right there. The The question I was asking right there was about uh, the theme of uh, black males uh, being vulnerable, violence against black males and vulnerability against black males. If you have a film for that question asked at the top of the program, that's great, too. But I am really curious okay. about. OK, but yeah, but it's all it's all aimed. It's black on black crime. It's, it's black on black genocide. The. um. The, the the killing, it's you know uh, we 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 hate ourselves so much. We're taught to hate ourselves. Malcolm X spoke about that. These people teach you to hate your mama. He said, you know, we, we're taught to hate ourselves. So we can't. We we're afraid to kill the people who are ki- uh, killing us. But we have no qualms about just uh, picking up a gun, wearing different colors, and ki- killing each other. And and that's what's in these films. That's what's in these films. And, and and poetic justice. Okay, how did that film start off? It started off where um, Janet Jackson's character, the boyfriend, her boyfriend is shot down, killed by another black, and she's she's grieving over it. And she turns to her poetry, which was written by Maya Angelou. But the rest of the film is, is about dealing with that trauma. And, and, and to his credit, he opened up with that, but he didn't let the film deal with, with, 
just a whole lot of violence. The film that comes to my mind is is, is the way they want to make a, a love story with Jason's lyric, and that became more of a gang movie where you had a little bit of romance. But uh, Poetic Justice was a better film because it just had a tinge of that violence and the reaction to it by not just Janet Jackson's character, but Tupac's. He talks about what it's like being a black man. And then you see the violence between um, Joe Torrey's character right. towards Re Regina King's character. Right. You know? And Regina, you know what that means, by the way, Gus? No, sir. <laughs> Regina means queen. Oh, that's great name for her. I forgot uh, <laughs> what her name is in the in the in the in that film. But I'm so glad that you uh, brought that point out as well. That they the film Poetic Justice it begins with Janet Jackson's uh, boyfriend Q-Tip uh, being murdered, like right at the opening credits, basically of the film. Uh, and then they kind of go on a road trip as she's grieving from this. Uh, there is mm -hmm. not. At, at least not until the end, there's not any more gun violence. Uh, it does come back up at the end once they get to their final destination. But in the interim, there is no more gun violence. But even in between, there's a lot of violence. Like, uh, as you said, Regina King's character and Joe Torrey, they're literally getting into fisticuffs uh, and name-calling yeah. the whole way through. Uh, Tupac's character and Joe Torre get involved. Everybody gets involved into a big scuffle out uh, on the beach at one point. Uh, they go to, they crash that barbecue where Dr. Maya Angelou is. And she kind of gives her sermon, which is great, giving her assessment of, of young people. And the fight breaks out. And they've gone to, they've, uh, they are crashing a family reunion and proceed to get into a fight at this family reunion where they're not even, and that's what I mean about the violence. Like it's constant. And even when it's not an actual brawl, which this is at the, at the family reunion, an actual brawl, uh, but it's, mm -hmm. it's the name calling and bickering and, you know, good be this and ran, 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 nigger this and ran, ran, there's so, which I view all of that as violence. It just, it permeates all of the fit for me. It makes pretty much all of his films with the exception of Rosewood because it's all black people being violent with other black people it makes the films very difficult to watch there are very few moments of catharsis where you can just enjoy the characters and the black people being there. it's just it, it is a violent representation of black people that yeah didn't you want to respond to that well that that's the point I'm making in technology brother Gus is that you know, I took issues with a number of films. Um, we did a thing where I just excoriated uh, Black Panther, and we didn't air it. You mean um, the the one that came out last year, Marvel's Black Panther? Yeah. Oh, okay. the, the one everyone was doing, the Wakanda thing. And I showed how, you know, a lot of people forget Black Panther is created by white folk. Okay. And, and and I said, before it came out, I said, I guarantee you that the film will take place, they'll ghettoize these blacks. Because in one of my many lessons, I talk about the fact that um, the one reason why you never had blacks uh, being depicted as defiant in motion pictures and tough, we got a dose of that with black exploitation, is because... White fragility won't allow it. 
And the only time you'll get uh, some black defiance is when you have white allies on your side. But they'll be quick to green light a motion picture where blacks are killing blacks. You know, so, I mean, I can further talk about Black Panther and that, you know, but the thing is, we 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 don't understand that what we think is good, relatively speaking, you know, oh, that's a great film. We're jumping on someone else's bandwagon. Our likeness, our appreciation, our endorsement, our giving critical acclaim in a positive way to things, that's all manufactured. And it gets back to what uh, Brother Malcolm said. They can make you hate your mama. Even um, Brother Dick Gregory said that. That's how powerful they know how to use, to your term, how they've weaponized the media. And I always say, you know, when, when you control the message, and in my book I point out, I, I use what I call the language of technology. When you control the message and you want it to slant against those you want, whom you want to otherize, then the message has been controlled where that the existence of those you want to oppress, you, you have for them to live an existence that is, when you take the word message and you break it up, you've presented them with a mess age. Context of white supremacy. Black brother. Black brother of hell. Uh, do emphasize the significance of words. Uh, I discourage, uh, strongly discourage the use of the term white fragility. Uh, if we are in a system of white supremacy where there are single individuals classified as white who can make the decision of, about whether or not Mr. Singleton will be able to make a film or not, that is not operating from a position of fragility. That is operating from white power. Uh, I think it is very important for that one. And otherwise, uh, I don't use any uh, manifestation, any permutation of that word. I try to be as specific as possible. Uh, we're talking about mistreating, terrorizing others. I try to be as specific and flagrant about that as possible. Whites have a pattern of using terms that obfuscate. Uh, we talked about that in Sundown Town. That is right with Rosewood. They will deliberately use terms uh, that obfuscate and are not being truthful uh, about how they terrorize and practice white supremacy against black people. Uh, speaking of which, there is an extraordinary, or in fact, I was going to say there is an extraordinary scene that is wrong. It's plural. There are two extraordinary illustrations of this in higher learning. Uh, the great Lawrence Fishburne. This is even before The Matrix. So this is Higher Learning 1995. <laughs> uh, Ice Cube, uh, Omar Epps, Tyra Bank. This is one of the best casting jobs ever done in the history of cinema. Uh, Mr. John Singleton casting Michael Rappaport as Remy, the racist uh, white terrorist who kills Tyra Banks uh, and has been shooting at Omar Epps and, and just practicing white terrorism. 
best cast. I don't think uh, Mr. Rappaport had to do any acting. I think he could just show up and be who he is and be in character. <laughs> uh, but this is a scene. Mr. Fishburne this time is a professor at Columbus University. And uh, Omar Epps, he is a young freshman uh, track star, uh, scholar athlete at Columbus. He's in Mr. Fishburne's class. He's uh, handed in a paper and I think he gets like a C on the paper. So he's upset about this. So he goes to question him and uh, Professor Fish or Mr. Fishburne's character. He, you know, gives the explanation why he gave him a C. And uh, yeah, I think you can understand from there. So this is higher learning. Uh, there are two scenes like this in the film. Just pay close attention. They are not very long. Scene number one. This ain't cool, dog. How you gonna give me a B on content and then I get a C for punctuation mistakes, misspellings, grammatical error, etc., etc. Probably ain't even reading. T.A. graded all of these, right? Perhaps if you could spell as well as you run, it would be better, Mr. Williams. Hmm? Cello. Mr. Williams! So, Mr. Williams thinks I am an Uncle Tom. <laughs> well, well, well. What does that have to do with your ability to place a comma in its proper place or put a period at the end of a sentence? Hmm? <sighs> Look, do you care for a peppermint? No, thank you. Look, man, I feel like you're trying to use that reverse treatment on me because I'm one of the only black faces in your class. You know, that's why you're always messing with me. Mr. Williams, I treat everyone in my course exactly the same. And I will continue to give you a difficult time until you have proven that you deserve otherwise. Those are the rules of the game. It's a fucked up game. Please watch your language. Young man, you have to rid yourself of this attitude that the world owes you something. You must strip yourself of that mentality. It breeds laziness. It is laziness, Mr. Williams, that has kept black people down in this country. I don't think like that. All right, man, it's just... Look, I don't need one of my own trying to treat me like I'm the enemy. The enemy? Who is the enemy, Mr. Williams? One man with a white beard who sits behind his desk pushing buttons that control the fate of the entire world? No, that is not reality. That is the Wizard of Oz. No, man. I mean, anybody. White, black. Anybody who gets in the way of my progress. Mm. Context of white supremacy. I do want to point out for context for people who haven't seen that film, this scene doesn't happen in uh, Lawrence Professor's office. He's in a cubicle, so you can like see the other people around them. Like they don't have any privacy, anything. He's apparently he doesn't have tenure at uh, Columbus University because yeah, he just he has this little cubicle in a faculty area, I guess. Anyway, uh, much I could say about that. Uh, any thoughts on that representation of racism uh, and this seeming lecture to this young black student uh, to kind of change the way he thinks about the world? Well, I mean, th that scene, 
raises a lot of questions, Brother Gus, in terms of what was its intent, what was um, Singleton's intent, you know, because one of the things that has to be raised about cinema in the context of white supremacy is that if it's promoting, if film is promoting um, a theme of when when you when you really leave the, the theater and it's perpetuating our passivity is is having him number one why why you know why did he um speak in that that accent why give him that accent some people <laughs> complain to sound like he was uh, scottish they didn't know what he was but but the thing is was was that an attempt having... to put down omar epps from using the race card as an excuse and um further what i want to say is a lot of times what happens is you get applauded uh, filmmakers get applauded when in their film there's a scene like this where you're not just pointing fingers at the system. It's not the system. You know, uh, it's, it's, it's you. And that's an over, over, uh, overwhelming thing in a lot of films where, you know, the, the exceptional black, he's exceptional He's not the rule. He's exceptional because he's the noble savage. He's the noble black because he's not playing the race card. He's, he's, if he's a success, it's because of hard work. It's his industriousness, you know. What has, uh, if, you, if you can know how to place a period and a comma in its proper place, the way you know how to run track, then you'll be, have success in my class. So, so that, you know, that, that whole scene, it raises a lot of questions. For Cal's listeners, uh, that indictment that what has kept back people, uh, what has kept black people back is not incidents of terrorism, like what Mr. Singleton depicted in Rosewood, not police terrorism, like what happened to Rodney King uh, four years before Higher Learning was released. It's black laziness now didn't okay. we just have that conversation on the program for <laughs> folks who didn't we just have that conversation uh, a month ago <laughs> the problem with black people reading it's not that white people have a history of killing black people to keep them from reading and having specific laws codification that negras are not allowed to read and we're not going to allow them into our library that's in your lifetime you already gave us your age that's in your lifetime where they had laws where we do not allow negras in the library and that's not just in one city we're reading sundown towns that's tomorrow they got laws about that's not why black people have problems with reading not to mention all the racist teachers in between it's black people are lazy do you see why i say yes. you should be everybody yes. should be extremely anytime that's the conclusion whatever the problem is there's something wrong with black people and it's because niggas are lazy <laughs> question especially in a system of race i'm not saying that there aren't any black people who you know maybe there are some lazy black people gus t might be one however in a system of white supremacy that is such a long used racist notion 
I have to look with suspicion. And again, this is not, you know, Mr. Singleton, a white person may have come back and say, hey, we need lazy black people. That always sounds good in a script. I guarantee you we'll get a green lighted, just get a scene in where you say black people are lazy and boop, we got you. Uh, there is yeah. another scene in the film that is similar. Same two characters, Mr. Fishburn, Omar Epps. They are having this office dialogue. We'll do one more and then we'll nab uh, some of the folks who dialed in with questions. Uh, so this is same film, Higher Learning, uh, Omar Epps. Uh, he's just he's done a second paper. So that was the first the context for their first dialogue this time around. Omar Epps, he's done another paper. He worked really, really hard. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Fishburne's character asks if he wrote the paper and Omar Epps gets a little insulted and it just uh, proceeds from there. Are you having problems here at Columbus? Sorry. So I got a problem with it. Wait, these fools be tripping when they see a black face. Someone spit in your face when you first came to campus? Was there a cross burned outside your dormitory? No, and I know what you're trying to get at. Look, man, just because it ain't up in my face, I don't mean it's not happening. It's less physical now. It's more mental. I got to run and study, man. I don't see these white folks worrying about nothing but, but going to class and playing handball. You know, talking about skiing and all. Man, they don't have the same worries I do. Then your problem is financial. Not racial, but economic. These type of problems can be worked out, Mr. Williams. For example, you are a runner, are you not? One of the best. A big-time track star. Huh? All right. Let us say, for instance, you are running a race and... You suspect the opposing team has a member who is faster, stronger, more big time than yourself. What do you do then? Do you leave the track? Hell no. You train harder, you run faster. When I saw that, I immediately said, John Henryism, uh, Mr. Singleton, dead at 51. People who don't know that uh, concept, you can go back in the, you'd have to go all the way back to year one. Um, Dr. Nancy Krieger, uh, she is a white woman at uh, the University of Harvard. Uh, she thoroughly deconstructed what that term is. Uh, it basically means exactly what, and it's the total context. Uh, so racism, white supremacy is a reality. And so black people are mistreated. It makes doing practically everything you can imagine that is constructive more difficult. So you work twice as hard. And what that means is you end up having a heart attack and dying at 51. John Henry, they have a whole concept for, we think this sort of thing happens to lots and lots of black people who do exactly what he said in that sound clip. It's not worseism. You just work hard and work harder and work harder and hope that you don't, you know, drop dead from some sort of health issue, uh, what have you, while you are being mistreated along the way. John Henryism. Uh, did you have any two, thoughts two on things. that? Go ahead. Two, two things, uh, Brother Gus. Um, I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> There was a, a bit of clamor around the idea of, of doing a John Henry story with um, The Rock as a star. Have you heard about that? No, sir. That's wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and people were upset. They said, why The Rock? You know, Rock don't look nothing like the images of, of, of John Henry. But the other thing, to piggyback on this whole scene, why um, in many ways I found it problematic, and in many, 
many ways it was codifying some issues within the black community. Um, you always had this friction between Caribbean blacks and American blacks. And it was always said that Caribbean blacks came here and they, they were more industrious. They worked harder and that's why they succeeded. Whereas the American blacks were used to welfare and, and, and they just were trained and cultivated to be lazy. So I, I, I wondered where he was going with this accent for um, Fishburne, if, if, if that was a little dig, which played to that kind of history that exists right here where we have this um, intra-racial um, issues with colorism and um, with geographical uh, locations of the different blacks that come out of the diaspora. So uh, that goes to the, the whole thing again, where that scene, uh, it, it rubbed me the wrong way. Money over racism. I hear that frequently. As I don't hear that as often as the black people are lazy, but or I take that back. I do hear that pretty often. <laughs> people, that is a pretty regular go-to. That it's not racism. It's really finance, which I've concluded that if we are in a system of racism, white supremacy, uh, that, that can not be the end. That's why I like to point out those illustrations when white people, Sundown Towns has a few of those as well. When white people, they refuse to sell black people gas. If it was money over racism, you wouldn't see things like that happen. Uh, we will get to the callers. The number again, 605 313 the code 564943-POUND. Press star 61. If you have a question for Charles, the Professor Woods, uh, make sure to remember to get the film. He says he has a film for us that was constructive, came out in the last 25 years, features black cast, and will not make you nauseous. Uh, the person who called in uh, last four digits... One, two, five, two. Did you have a question for Mr. Woods? Hello. Yes. Um, Mr. Woods, in the 70s, there were several movies made starring black actors and actresses. And one of the questions I have is, why were interracial intimacy scenes always present in these movies? For instance, black women being raped or demoralized by white men and black men starving for white women. The black man was always portrayed as that he can do with or do without a black woman, that it wasn't essential that they had a bond together. And that always kind of bothered me because this, I always was excited about the fact that these were movies, you know, that starring us for a change and that maybe we would be together in a positive way. And I wonder why those types of relationships were always thrown in there. Well, uh, I did a whole study on interracial romance in, in cinema. And for the most part, uh, showing, depicting black and white sexuality, it was a way of bringing audiences to the, to the theater. It was uh, a titillation. It was um, more exploitation than exploration. The other thing is my conclusion is that when you promote 
this type of relationship and it's not done honestly in the context of white supremacy, what it's promoting is the continued fixation of uh, black men idolizing the white woman. And in the context of white supremacy, we're talking about the ideal is whiteness. And, um, you know, you look at a lot of our celebrities, uh, very few of them marry black. They marry outside their race. Then you'll have people, if you bring it up, they'll say, well, you know, love knows no color. But the media is selling black inferiority. And one of the ways they do this is where they have these phony films we have these interracial relationships, and when you explore deep down the relationships, you'll find what I call that the whites who are involved with the blacks romantically, they are flawed individuals, and it's what I call the 3D effect. They're denigrated, and um, the relationship has some kind of devastation where it doesn't last, or it has some destruction where one, either the white person dies, the black person dies, or they both die. So in essence, what they're saying, we'll show you these, these um, relationships, but we're not really promoting that we want to sell the idea that blacks and whites should marry. It's all for exploitation. Much obliged, ma'am. If you could uh, hold tight. There, I want to make sure everybody gets at least one question in. Uh, our caller, uh, I believe he was with us uh, at our Virginia Yoga Retreat, uh, Black African. Good to hear from you, sir. Did you have a question for Mr. Woods? Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you. Um, I was wondering, uh, Mr. Woods, could you give us a it sounds like uh, filmmaker is not a correct term to describe um, Mr. Singleton because it sounds like he didn't. He, it sounds like he didn't make the full movie. Like it sounds like this, he was either influenced or forced by um, racist white supremacists to make maybe what he didn't want to make. So. Do you have other terms for people like him that want to make something but are forced to make something else? Because it doesn't sound like he's a filmmaker. So um, I was wondering if you've ever thought about that. Thank you. Okay. Um, the way I look at art, you know, there's, there's an old question when it comes to art. The question used to be, is art art for whose sake? Is it for the artist's sake or is it for the audience's sake? Motion pictures, uh, this, this is the most powerful art form on the face of the earth. Motion pictures are controlled and, and they're green-lighted with one main purpose in mind, to make money. It's not about um, selling a message that's going to be counter to the system that's in place. 
any system, I don't care where you go, any system, they're going to have their artists produce work that's going to maintain the status quo of the system out of which that artist comes um, from. John Singleton and all his comrades, they are colonized artists. They create their art and they do it and it's, it's circumscribed because it's controlled. If they want to make the art they want to make, they have to have their own autonom autonomy. And what's very important, a lot of people lose sight of this, it's not just the artist who creates, but what's important for the artist to be able to create, we have to have an audience that's willing to support that work. Much obliged, the black African uh, in a system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, racists can do many things to disrupt uh, your distribution to said audience. Uh, they can do things to disrupt promotion so people don't hear uh, about your project or do things in advertising to discourage people. Say, oh, this is not a good film. You shouldn't invest your time and energy even go see it. Lots of things that they can. So I said bamboozled. A lot of people didn't even get an opportunity to see it because it wasn't in theaters uh, in a wide in a manner to allow for widespread availability. Uh, other folks, let's see. Next person dialed in with a hand up. Uh, last four digits. Oh, retired firefighter. Got confused. Retired firefighter, did you have a question for Mr. Woods? Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. I hear you. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, try to come up with a question. Uh, I haven't been to a movie theater in a long in a long time. Uh, when I do watch movies, uh, it's uh, in this house that I'm allowed to stay in, uh, and uh, basically I uh, watch it like I watch football film, uh, rewinding it, you know, controlling the uh the forward and backward motion of the uh, film if i wanted to uh hear something or see something again uh is there by someone with that type of uh mode uh is there still is some sort of benefit that a black movie director or you know, actor, a person of interest in that in that industry can still benefit from someone like me, as opposed to going to movie theaters and spending money. I, I, I'm not quite sure I understand the question. I, I, the technology that we have today is, you know, you don't have to go to the movie theater. There are all kind of ways to, to see things. Uh, the internet. Um, uh, libraries, they rent DVDs and things like that. It sounds like, what do you use? Uh, like a, I, I go on YouTube. I go on YouTube for the most part. Well, you can see a lot of things on YouTube. Um, I would give you a, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> if you go on YouTube, um, 
there's a film called The Well, 1951, that's up there. Uh, no Way Out, Sidney Poitier's first film, 1950. What about um, Nothing But a Man? Nothing But a Man is on YouTube. Excellent film. Yes. What do you think about that movie? I, I think that's the best movie that I ever saw. Uh, I think Malcolm X uh, gave it the same credit, starring Ivan Dixon and the great Abby Lincoln. Yeah, I knew Abby. Uh, uh, very close to uh, uh, Abby. I, I, I worked on a production where we just put it up on our channel on Real Black. I recommend there's a lot of things on Real Black, uh, which was created by Mike Dennis. It's, I think, one of the best YouTube channels there is, and um, we have a lot of things on that channel. And there's an interesting conversation that he just uploaded with um, Harry Belafonte, Diane Carroll, Paul Mooney, and um, Torre. Uh, so you may want to look at that. But there are a lot of things on YouTube. Anything you watch, you know, have a critical eye, um, check it. But there, there are a lot of things you don't even have to go to the theater. And that's what's killing the theaters. Uh, brick and mortars will soon come down. Everything's technology. But, uh, you know, it's not necessary to go to the theater. And um, there are a lot of things. I would look at a lot of historical dramas, a lot of documentaries. And um, there's just so much available today. I, I wish I had it available to me when I was beginning my research. But it's there now and um, it's very helpful and it helps me. I'm working on a documentary now that I doubt if many people will want a green light because I'm really going to show uh, how this system of uh, motion pictures is just aimed at doing one thing. As I said before, it's perpetuating the status quo. It's maintaining um, white supremacy. And thank you for your question. Yes. Uh, nothing, nothing but a man didn't qualify, Gus. It was too far back. That's right. 1964. 1964, Nothing But a Man was uh, one of my favorite right. films. Also, yes. 25-year time frame, 1994 to 2019. That is the uh, window, but much obliged for the reference. And we discussed uh, Nothing But a Man with Dr. Martin Kevorkian, uh admitted white supremacist back in 2011. Uh, went through, had a few. That is a powerfully depressing film as well, man will not leave you feeling well either by the time you get to the end. Uh, the number again, Well, a lot of people forget uh, Gus Duff. Duff was trying to be nothing but a man, but, you know, uh, his own people turned against him. Okay, mm. that made it life difficult. And then one of the things that Marx talks about is, you know, like if, if the economics is not right, that has a bearing on the relationship. So, you know, a, a lot of strained relationships that we see in our community is because they won't allow a man to be a man, you know, make a living, protect his, uh, raise a family. And uh, Nothing But a Man is directed by a, a, um, a white director, but I thought it was a quality film, 1964. It was a great film. And um, Ivan Dixon is someone who did not make a lot of Hollywood films because Ivan Dixon, he hated Hollywood. And Ivan Dixon, a lot of people may forget, but Ivan Dixon gave us the spook who sat by the door. Read the book, The Great Sam Greenlee, uh, in our book club. Uh, 
2014, I believe. I will say that was not my takeaway from Nothing But a Man. Uh, it is a very accurate film about white supremacy racism. Was not that black people turned on uh, Duff's character. The main takeaway was white people can terrorize and do terrorize an entire town, uh, which is exactly what they did. And that can totally destroy a relationship. That's pretty much what you watch happen. White people practice racism and how that can totally ruin uh, what started off as a really great romance. Uh, and yes, the black people uh, did not look out for him on the job, but I mean, that was under terrorist conditions. That was like, you know, a Nazi camp and having some Jewish people who, oh yeah, he's, you know, he said such and such. I mean, you're under terrorist conditions. They're all prisoners of, of war. That was my main takeaway from nothing but a man, unless I'm mistaken. Well, uh, what it is, 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 is it's, um, you know, he, he's, they asked him, are you a, you a union man? You know, and then um, Richard Ward says, you, you trouble. It's, it's interesting. Richard Ward says, you a trouble man. And I, I found that very um, prescient because uh, Ivan Dixon went on to direct Trouble Man. Hmm. <laughs> trouble uh in a system of of white supremacy having a, a black male who you know does not laugh when he is told to laugh by whites oh yeah <laughs> you could be a lot of trouble yeah. having such a exactly a person around that again that was the main takeaway white yeah people the guy are, said you don't, you don't laugh much he said i laugh when it's funny mm-hmm mm-hmm get your pink <laughs> slip this will be your last day on the job <laughs> like uh that and, and it reminds me of denzel washington on in a, in a, in a couple of films he says the same thing I don't laugh, it ain't funny. I don't scratch where it don't itch. Mm. Yeah, context of white supremacy. <laughs> the number again, one five, or excuse me, six zero five, three one three, five one, six four. The code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate remember the titans would not qualify either uh other folks okay <laughs> who dialed in last four digits one five five three uh did you have a question are you, you waiting for me to give you my uh, my film i was gonna nab our caller but let's hear it let's hear it the great debaters Hmm. I did see that. Directed by Denzel Washington. I did see that. I did see that. About a strong black man, Melvin B. Tolson. I he don't think about Willie Lynch. And I tell you another strong black man in that film. The character played a real life character by Forrest Whitaker. I don't remember wanting to vomit after seeing it. Um, okay. I would have to watch it again, but yeah, I have seen <laughs> that one. And I don't remember being nauseous uh, after seeing it. Okay. I don't remember being overjoyed about it either. But uh, okay. that one might. I'll put that one down as, as that one could be a maybe. Uh, but okay. then the last, it, it would fall within the time range, though. Last 25 years, predominantly black cast and black director. Uh Caller at one five five three. Did you have a question for Mr. Woods? Hey, how you doing, Gus? Uh, how you doing, Mr. Woods? 
Um, he's up. I'm in a noisy environment. If it gets too noisy, just let me know and I'll just yield my question. Yes. Sir. Um, uh, okay, Mr. Woods, um, right now you have a, a film. I want to get your opinion. Um, there's a film coming out called Laquisha and it has a whole bunch of, um, anti-black tropes and, yep. um, and, and, and stereotypes. Yeah. Um, other other victims is making a comparison and was saying that there was nothing wrong with the movie. They compared the movie to uh, black making films like the Wayne's brothers made uh, white girls. Uh-huh. Um, is it true to say that if I was talking to another victim, black person, that the difference is uh, white in the dominant society, they can weaponize their tropes and their jokes. Whereas if Damian Wayans or other blacks make uh, movies making jests of white people, we don't have the power to weaponize those jokes, stereotypes, and tropes. Is that a true uh, statement? Um, let me answer your question this way. Um, uh, my partner, Mike Dennis, he, he sent me the trailer for Laquisha. Already people up in arms. That may not even come out. The, the reaction to the trailer is, is so negative um people hated soul plane and they're talking about making part two but here's the thing you brought up the wayans and i have a thing where i speak about you know we already know in the context of white supremacy what the white person wants to do to our image the portraiture the negative demeaning the humanizing portraiture they want to have of us to me, the worst, the worst thing that can happen is when we have our own kind do it to ourselves. The Wayans are at the top of the list. All you need to look at is, is, is uh, the film um, where we have Mac, Michael Blacks, Black, Blackson and, um, and Epps, and they're going at it. And Epps is calling Michael Blackson Caesar, referencing um, Planet of the Apes. The um, Planet of, of the Apes. And Senseless, I, I don't know if you remember um, the film Senseless. And you can go on YouTube, see a clip of this. There's a this scene where they compare Patrick Ewan, who used to play for the New York Knicks. And um, he, uh, he calls... Patrick Ewing, Sasquatch, you know, they make these ape-like references to blacks. We have internalized this stuff so much where when we think we're going to make a film, a comedy film, we just reiterate, regurgitate the nonsense that we complain about when they use Step and Fetch it, Willie Best and Mantan Moreland, and in today's age, we're doing the same thing in a worse way, and I hate it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Gus, um, do you have an opinion on that question I asked? I, I would like to hear uh, what you have to say as well. Uh, well, uh, I would point out uh, for one that uh, the entire entertainment history is founded on white people terrorizing and humiliating black people for entertainment. Like that's, 
the whole history of Hollywood, the circus, like this is documented and irrefutable, like not a one-time thing. This is a like, as I said, this is the entire history of entertainment in this area of the world. And they have like volumes of literature on this from the circus and all of the above, minstrel shows, all of it. So that's substantially different from a pair of victims of racism who make one film, and not to mention all the money that whites have made in this process of terrorizing and humiliating black people for centuries, uh, exploiting and making money off of them all the while, the Wayans brothers making this one film, which invariably had to be what they call uh, green-lighted by white people to make this film, and probably made whites way more money than the Wayans brothers made, and the most important point, they're talking about a film where black males dress up like white women. They don't even get to retain their gender. That is supposed to be compared to centuries of minstrelsy, uh, which inspired and rejuvenated clan terrorism in some instances. Two black males dressing up like white. That's what I mean about those metaphors. Now, we got to make sure that what's being compared is even, you know, equivalent. This is not apples and oranges. Like, we're comparing tomatoes to concrete like what what makes sense with our comparisons uh maybe i could maybe begin the process if the wayans brothers were two black males and they were going to pretend to be white men maybe but that's not what the film is unless i'm confused it's two black males dressing up like two white women that's just another sad illustration of racism white effeminization i think was mentioned already that's the same that's the same thing Unless I'm mistaken, that's probably what I would say, something like that. And I think the Wayans brothers, more than anything, are victims of racism. Most important, regardless of what they or anyone else, all of those individuals, everybody listed on this program this evening. Nia Long, John Singleton, Mantan Moreland, the Wayans brothers, everybody listed who is a black person in entertainment. They are all victims of racism, white supremacy, responding to white, not white fragility, white power. That's what I'd say. I could be in error. All right. Thanks a lot, fellas. And, um, hey, Gus, if I can close with this as well, I just wanted to uh, state that um, your code is absolutely correct as far as, like, getting frustrated with black and all this name-calling of black people that we disagree with it. I'm watching it on real time on Twitter. And to use a metaphor, spinning our wheel, um... <laughs> Uh, we're we're definitely shadowboxing and spinning our wheels often with this back and forth black going at each other. Okay, I just wanted to close with that. Much obliged. No name calling. It is so important. That I guess that's one question I would ask, Mister Woods. Um, he does. I, I will say I mentioned in Boys in the Hood the scene where the police terrorism. It is a black male officer who is being the terrorist, mm -hmm. he does show white officers, many, many of them, dozens of them, white uh, officers, brutalizing black people uh, in higher learning. Uh, it comes up again uh, in Poetic Justice. Uh, obviously, he did Rosewood, which you haven't talked about yet. Uh, it comes up repeatedly in other films. It's just, it's not there in Boys in the Hood. Uh, with a film like, or even before I get to uh, Baby Boy, which we haven't discussed, I also wanted to backtrack just to higher learning. 
the two scenes that I played, the audio segments, where those conversations were happening, where we had a black person being accused of being lazy and <laughs> that black laziness was was what is holding black people back. Uh, and then in the next scene that it is not racism. That's not the problem. Uh, it's finances and you just work harder. All of this was happening within the context of a white killer with guns who is conspiring to kill this black male who is being to, hey, it's not racism and you're just being lazy. <laughs> and he's been attacked by this uh, white terrorist repeatedly uh, in the film, just for context. And he's chasing after him and, and, and the white guy has the gun and they stopped the, uh, Omar Epps character, the security guard. Exactly. Exactly. Which was another thing I found strange. They have several times in the film where Omar Epps' character is chasing an armed white man and he doesn't have a gun, mm-hmm. which I just found. You don't see that too often <laughs> uh, in films where you have an unarmed person chasing an armed, for much less an unarmed black male is chasing an armed white male. Anyway. Um, well, here's the point. Just think about that. I haven't seen it in a while, but um, one of the things I noted for my um, book and companion documentary is the ending. See, in the context of white supremacy cinema, the, the question is, what is it promoting? And overall, the theme is you can get a film made if it has certain things that we agree it's okay for those elements to exist in the film. In higher learning, uh, I believe the, uh, there's a character that say, wake up, uh, wake up at the end. And But there's this understanding or the, the, um, the, set, the subject is broached that there will be a greater understanding between the, the Omaev's character and the, the white girl in there where they can come to an understanding and start seeing each other as human beings. That's an important theme in a lot of these films that get made, okay? Where when they can have that image, they feel good, okay, we're promoting brotherhood. And the reason why they, can, they want to sell brotherhood is, is once again, I said, they, the way you can perpetuate passivity is when you come out of watching this artistry, this, this, this work, and you feel good about things. They don't want you to come out feeling angry. They want you to feel good. They want you to see that your enemy is maybe a few ignorant rednecks, but it's not with every white person. It's not with the system. These films do not attack the system. They do not attack the institutions of white supremacy. Uh, take, for example, Morgan Freeman. He's playing in Invictus, Mandela. And we showed a clip of that. And, and, and um, the black South Africans are saying, you want us to work with these, these, um, these white South Africans as, as, as law officers? And many of them killed our own people? And Morgan Freeman in the Mandela character says, the rainbow nation starts here. See, that's, that's, that's important. That's what we get in these films. And then the people who greenlight them say, okay, great. 
mission accomplished. We're not going to upset anybody. We're not going to have these natives restless. This is okay. They'll feel good. They've been entertained. They've been enter. They've been allowed to enter the attainment of being detained and contained by the film, by the art. That's how it works. The film uh, 2001, uh, Baby Boy, uh, Snoop Dogg mm-hmm. is, and then she said Taraji P. Henson, Tyrese, uh, Ving Rhames, uh, who was in Rosewood, uh, among others. Um, <clears throat> he opens the film paraphrasing uh, the work of the late uh, third generation physician, general and child psychiatrist, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, guest on this broadcast many times before she passed. Uh, he paraphrases her work talking about uh, black males uh, and some of the highlights of her theory and in, in terms of why black males refer to their dwelling as a crib and uh, to their partner, female partner uh, as mama and friends as boys and all the rest of it. Um, he starts off with that and with Tyrese, uh, who's in his 20s, I reckon, uh, at the time this film was made in The Womb, uh, and goes as you, feminization, black males not able to function as men. I found it startling that in a film, and Dr. Welsing talked about this. There's a lecture where she mm-hmm. talks about how she knew exactly what you've been saying, Mr. Woods, in a system of white supremacy. It's not like Mr. Singleton, Mr. Singleton can say, oh my goodness. Thank you, Dr. Welsing. Your teaching has inspired me. I'm going to insert this in my film. Wait a minute. <laughs> there are white people who say, well, wait a minute. Let me let me look at your script here. Uh, no, let's let's change this and let's change this and let's take that out and we'll move this over here. And okay, now we can now we can work with that. That's the way things mm-hmm. work in the system of white supremacy. And she said she knew that's what was going to happen. And in a film that's ostent, he start he. In a system of racism, that's what he says. Black males, they're not going to be men. This is what happens. Blah, blah, blah. There, I don't recall there being any whites in the entire film, nor is there ever a, hey, what is responsible for all of these black males being in this feminized position where they can't go out and they can't get it? What exactly is responsible for that? All of that is totally like, you just get to see lots of, what did I say before? Negro trauma drama all the way through to the very end uh what do you make of there being no white people pretty much at all no white main characters anyway in baby boy well that's that's what i'm saying it's 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 someone's looking over the script they're doctoring it and they're making sure that when that product is finished the system is not indicted the people being oppressed the message is you're oppressing yourself. You're holding yourself back. Ving Rhames, um, his character was problematic for me. I mean, he was walking around there. Uh, uh, he's supposed to be this big, tough guy, but in many ways, he came across as very effeminate. How so? Um, he's walking around. He's uh, nude. Okay, and uh, okay, and then he's tending the garden, the flower garden garden you know what i'm saying um it's it's just i think i even remember with a lollipop in his mouth you know uh it's just some things that came across that just struck me as odd 
But the, the white folks not being there is once again, oh, it's not us. Don't put it on us. It's, 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 it's black folks. You know, the, the um, dysfunction is it's you black folks. I mean, for once again, you, you have his mom was a, was a young mother. He's got two babies. Uh, he's got baby mama drama. Um, the Tyrese character. Uh, he's got baby mama drama. He's got Taraji is his latest squeeze, and then he goes see the other squeeze, and, and it's just these kind of themes that get celebrated and they get um, promoted, and then people going. Now, a lot of people feel they didn't like Baby Boy because it didn't have enough violent action. And I know one thing. I, I've, I've, I've known guys growing up like Snoop. Snoop scared the hell out of me. And I damn sure didn't want, want him around. Um, uh, I had a cousin who was like him. Like a, no girl was safe around, safe around him. But it's black folk. You see black folk and you're afraid for other black folk and the fear you have for other black folk is because it's not you're not seeing you, you're not having that fear for other black folk because of white folk you're having a, a fear for other black folk because of black folk it's black on white crime it's black on black genocide all the dysfunction all the the um, the trauma it's in the film it's generated by black folk and 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 that's what we get and that's why I say a lot of these films the popularity, the acclaim, it's all manufactured. Who decides what's, what's the best picture? What, should, what, what film should be um, nominated for an Oscar? Who decides that? I do not think uh, it is a room full of black people. I could be misinformed about that, but I don't think that's what it looks like, where the decisions are made. I, I had issues, uh, Brother Gus, with fences. I damn sure didn't like Moonlight. Okay? So, you know where I'm going with that. Didn't see Moonlight. Uh, many reasons. Saw Fences. And that was, I was pretty nauseous by the end of that one, uh, as per usual. Um, I, I, will, I will only say with Baby Boy, I'm stunned that anyone could watch that film and at the conclusions, wow, I wish there was a little bit more violence. I mean, they have, they have like, even some of the daydream sequences are violent, where it's a black male being gunned down in a daydream. It's like, oh, that didn't happen for real. We just dreamed. We had to sneak in a little bit of extra violence. There's Snoop's character, the great, uh, he is about to rape a black mother in front of her three-year-old son. Uh, yeah, that's there, and I mean, I could go on there. There's a lot to pick from in that film. I cannot believe someone. You know, that's that's the last film that Singleton wrote. Mm. Baby Boy, and Snoop Snoop's role was originally um, supposed to be played by Ice Cube. I would have uh, if if Ice Cube passed <laughs> on that one. Good job, Mr. Jackson. Uh, I would have had to pass on that one as well. Uh, wish Snoop had passed on that. They could have not saying that you don't have these characters, but wow, in a system of racism, white supremacy, I get my daily dose of 
Willie Horton and O.J. Simpson. Mr. Singleton did step in to direct one of the uh, O.J. Simpson uh, episodes. I didn't watch that either. That's on my list of uh, nauseous, too. But he did step in to direct one of those uh, episodes. Um, can, can, can go can I ahead. Make a quick comment? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, earlier, earlier um, one of the um, callers had issues with um, the black and white sex um, depicted in films. And what's important, Brother Gus, is the consciousness of our artists. That's what uh, made Harry Belafonte, who he is and was, Paul Robeson, he had the consciousness, but he was not able to control his image. The first black man to be able to control his image in Hollywood is Harry Belafonte. But the thing is Ice Cube, because of uh, the tutoring he had under uh, Brother Minister Khalid, Ice Cube, you don't see him getting involved with white women in films. And that's to his credit. Context of white supremacy. Uh, get make sure I don't miss caller the person at six four or last four digits three zero nine eight three zero nine eight. Did you have a question for Mr. Woods? Yes. Good evening. Good evening. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. I hear you. Thank you. Yes. Good evening, Gus. Good evening, Mr. Woods. Good evening, uh, callers and listeners. I have um, Mr. Woods. Do you still maintain a um, YouTube channel? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm working with uh, Mike Dennis, uh, Real Black, R-E-E-L-B-L-A-C-K. Um, uh, I, I just told Mike the other day, he's a fat totem. He does a great job with the channel. Um, I haven't been well. I wanted to do some more mini lessons where I explore in more detail some of the issues that similar to the one what raised tonight where we speak about the context of racism and motion pictures and um but we still do the um the channel I'm, i still participate in, in some way with um real black all right i'm, I'm sorry for your, your your poor health i hope you you'll feel better um quickly um do you do you have um what can i explore and find uh, the perpetuation of passivity, the Catholic character, and um, uh, actually the power of cinema and images. Do you cover those topics, or can I email you and speak to you about that? Yeah, the, the, um, the, the whole thing is, see, see, motion pictures is used not to excite us, it's to make us feel good about this, this crap, this system we're in. And, and, and people don't know they're being seduced. And, 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 and we're going after things that do nothing to change our condition, nothing to liberate us. Um, we're seduced by nonsense. You know, most of the stars, when you look at who, who are our major stars in motion pictures, Kevin Hart. Uh, the Rock, the Rock is, you wouldn't even think the Rock is a black man. He's this um, androgynous and not uh, ambiguous, racially ambiguous character. Uh, maybe Brother Gus has a more precise denotation he would like to give to that. But the thing is, they're not 
selling blackness. Blackness, you know, they had a hacked Sony emails. And when when you hear how these people really feel about us, they don't like us. They don't care about us. Entertain us, you know, the neo-minstrelsy, old minstrelsy. Be a minstrel. The only blacks they want to put up there on the screen are blacks that are considered noble savages, safe images, emasculated black men. The trichnology I speak about, uh, I, I break it down, this trichnology. Logi refers to language. There's no language of to, uh, how we can address the system of white racism. The images we get are basically fantasy figures that take us nowhere. That's what, that's what this system's all about. The way it perpetuates, the way it continues on is because of the media, the gatekeepers, they only allow that which will perpetuate the status quo. And, and it's, it's, it's getting worse. Education, our kids are not being educated and they're not taught how to think. The school system's a mess. Uh, people have to work three or four jobs and they still don't have a, a, a living wage. But no one's addressing these issues because the most popular things people are allowing themselves to be distracted by is a bunch of BS like the Housewives of Atlanta, crap like that. That's what's going on. So that's, that's what I'm working on addressing in, in the, um, the book and the companion documentary to expose this system for what it is. Let's see. Did that answer your question, uh, sir? Yes, it did. And um, if I just make one quick comment, um, it's fascinating that um, with the clip that you played from uh, High Alert and Mr. Fishburne to be characterized as a non-white, non-Native American Black lecturing um, a, a person that I guess would the, the popular term now is the American descendant slogan. I'll mute my line. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Peace and blessings. Much obliged, sir. Uh, other folks, if you have a, a final question, comment, we don't want to take up Mr. Woods' entire evening. Uh, for Mr. Woods, uh, the number is 605-313-5164, the code 564 excuse me, the code 564 it's not the code. Five six four nine four three pound. Five six four nine four three pound. Star six one. If you have a question for Mr. Woods, uh, I would be remiss if I totally left out uh, Rosewood, which uh, tremendous cast there as well. Ving Rhames, who was in Baby Boy, also he was uh, in Rosewood. Don Cheadle, uh, who went on to do lots of and continues to do lots of great things. Uh, the great Esther Roll. Uh, also in Rosewood. Um, he said he didn't want to make this film, uh, some of the interviews that I've seen uh, from Mr. Singleton, uh, and that it took prodding from some of the Rosewood survivors uh, to tell him that he had to do this film, uh, that if he didn't do it, it was going to be uh, a white director. Steven Spielberg, they said, uh, would end up directing this project, and they didn't want him, uh, that they wanted a black person uh, who could, you know, be accurate. Uh, in telling 
the story. Uh, I think this is is easily the film that I enjoyed most uh, that John Singleton uh, directed, was a part of. Uh, I think he did a great job. The sexual terrorism uh, that's shown uh, in the film, lots of direct uh, white racists. Uh, I think he, he goes to but particular emphasis on how uh, children participated in these lynchings, a uh, white father showing a white child how you hold the rope to lynch a nigra. Uh, I think you mentioned before having uh, it's mandatory to have a cathartic white character, and I think they have several cathartic white characters in this one. They don't want you to walk around like all white people are racist. They make sure to have a few that you're like, oh, okay, yeah, he did try to help out a few Negros. Uh, what are your, your thoughts, uh, the significance of the film Rosewood, 1997? That that was a, a tough film to watch. And the thing about it is that it, Singleton, I think at one time referred to it as, as his Schindler's List. But even after it was made, he was attacked um, where many people said he exaggerated uh, how many people were killed or um, a lot of it wasn't true. But the tragedy of it is this. We will never know the truth of what really happened in, in um, 1923 in Rosewood. Uh, what's that? Um, in Florida. Because for a long time, they wanted that whole thing covered up. And, 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 and literally and figuratively, that's what they did. They, they, they buried a lot of the bodies to hide them. And people left what people would survive. They left. They never came back. But not until, I mean, this thing happened in 1923, Gus. Um, not until 1993 was there some real attempt to try to get to the truth of what happened in Rosewood. So I applaud him for, 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 for doing the film. But once again, a film like that, they don't, they don't really give you the real savagery of, of what went down in, in, in that community and how these uh, jealous, envious whites on, on a, a humbug, you know, once again, uh, black men's lives ruined, destroyed because some white woman said she was raped by a black man. And, um, it was a tragedy that uh, was committed to film. And I know that had to be tough for him. It was tough to watch. And a, a lot of people did not go see it. It didn't make a dime. It was a, a complete flop. And it's the kind of film that people need to know that history. But that's the kind of stuff people are not even going to, you know, they're, they're not going to watch it. White people, damn sure, don't want to see it. And black people, they've had enough of they know that. They say, I know that stuff. I know that story. I don't want to see it again. But uh, as far as Ving Rhames' character is concerned, that's what I was talking about, a cathartic figure. He was created. His name was, uh, his character's name was Man. He had to be created, Gus, for that film to be even a little bit palatable to be able to watch. And he's this heroic figure. But there's no... There's no one who existed like him in that time. And then some people, I don't know if you're aware of it, 
there were many critics who felt that his character was an insult to the survivors of Rosewood because in many ways they felt that you had this black character who's, who, who is heroic, he's fighting against what's going on. They kind of make him like this, this. He survives the attempt to hang him. And they're saying, you know, it's like an insult, like you're saying no one tried to do anything uh, when this was going down. And they, they've had reports. Initially, we only had maybe seven people died, two whites and maybe, maybe seven blacks. But there have been reports where hundreds of blacks have been killed, and no one knows the truth. And that's the tragedy right there, that no one really knows the truth of what happened in Rosewood. To Mr. Singleton's credit, <clears throat> there is a title card at the conclusion of Rosewood that says exactly what you just heard from Mr. Wood, totally acknowledging that nobody knows the total count, that you know the official, put that in quotes, estimate, uh, is that I think it was like eight uh, fatalities, uh, but that uh, other people's estimates uh, are, who knows? It could have been 100 people, who knows? And the more important thing, again, the book club tomorrow, same program time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We are reading James Lowen's Sundown Towns. He does mention Rosewood, but I mean, that's just one of many what I've said for years. That happened at least 260 times, at least. So, the and you hear the same story. They have a difficult time getting a tally on exactly how many fatalities there were because these incidents of terrorism weren't supposed to be happening. So what did Mr. Wood say? They would bury the bodies and lie about That's Mr. Yeah. Uh, Lowen in Sundown Towns. He has a whole sub chapter on that alone because he saw the same pattern where sometimes they would go, uh, some white person ostensibly, some racist would go and destroy the entire newspaper archive for the days when these type of incidents happened in a town. So that if you go back to try to see what happened, it would be gone. There's no newspaper. There's no record to find out what happened at this sort. And then just flagrant lying where people know what happened, but they just, Oh, we don't know. There used to be some niggers here, but they left. I don't know. It was uh, flu season or I don't know, bad crops, something. They just, they all left for some reason. That sort of thing is standard operating procedure. So that would be one in the second. Mr. Singleton also did an interview that I saw uh, this was years after the film where he was saying he was talking about the man character, Mr. Man, Ving mm -hmm. Rain's character. And he said that he one part of, you know, if I'm going to do this film, I did not just want to show black people being pummeled and not fighting back. And that's mm -hmm. something that we hear regularly uh, because there's so many examples of black people, not Marvel's Black Panther, real life Black Panthers, people who did fight back and said we're not just going to take white people beating on us all the time. Uh, and he said that when he dug in and did the research, he said, hey, you had uh, black World War II veterans who had experience uh, and training and had traveled and they were courageous. They did step up. They didn't just take it. And that also happened regularly in these purges where you did have some black people who fought back. And I thought it was great. I mean, uh, you, I think Schindler's List is not uh, a documentary. Uh, I don't think anybody goes to see Schindler's List. Like, oh, yeah, this is exactly how it happened. Like, OK, so when you have this. This is not a documentary. Uh, they have what they call poetic license or you can take uh, dramatic license uh, to embellish a bit. But I thought 
you did. I mean, that is fact. You did have uh, World War One veterans. You had World War Two veterans. Even in the Civil Rights Movement, you had a lot of uh, Vietnam veterans uh, who came back and had a huge impact. Jackie Robinson uh, was a World War Two veteran, had a huge impact uh, on civil uh, what they call civil rights, working against racism. So I think that I very much appreciated that character. I understand it's fiction, uh, but I, I appreciate the spirit of where that character came from. Uh, we uh, it's the right quick. It's the cathartic figure, and he has to. He, without that figure, uh, you won't look at that movie. It's like I said with Yafet Koto and the liberation of L.B. Jones, um, Badger Dajola in um, Mississippi Burning. He plays uh, an FBI agent. Um, the original character was written um, as a mafia hitman. Alan Parker, the director, changed it and made Dejola the guy who kidnaps uh, the racist white mayor and threatens him and makes him give up some important information. But these, these are, you know, the whole thing is, these are things that have to be put in where years ago they didn't give a damn how, black felt, how blacks felt about what were they were getting. Like I, I mentioned the Phoenix City story. That was... That was a film Sidney Poitier refused to do. You parallel that with um, A Time to Kill with Sam Jackson, and someone hurts his child, and he's going after these guys with a machine gun to get even. Times have changed. The context changed. You just can't put anything up on the screen and expect black folk to say, okay, okay, no, we're not going to sit through that nonsense. So these characters are created. And that's the whole thing is this. Film is put up there, what can we do to put on that screen that will appeal to a broader audience because it's all about the money game. And in closing, I'll say one thing. We always have this saying, the truth shall set you what, Gus? Free, that's what they say. Yeah, they say the truth shall set you free. So then one thing they don't want you is to be free. So what will they deny you? Truth. Get lots of deception in the, the system truth. of white supremacy. They'll deny you the truth. So that's what it's all about. We're not getting the truth on that screen. We're getting, we're getting, and here's my uh, breakdown of uh, in technology, the word propaganda. I call it propaganda, P-R-O-P-E-R-A, dash, G-A-N-D-E-R-A. They're directing you to look at things, to see them as proper the way they want you to see it. Context of white supremacy. Again, our guest this evening has been the professor, Mr. Charles Woods, always a pleasure to have you on the program that is the exact terminology that i use racially ambiguous uh for an individual like mr uh dwayne johnson uh with a racial classification that is uncertain can be confused racially ambiguous that's exactly how i say it <laughs> uh as i said thank you so much for sharing a bit of your time and, and insight uh we will definitely look forward to having you back on the program uh, and hoping that uh you and and all the rest of us can maintain your health so you can continue your extreme 
extremely important work. Uh, that is a huge part of this system, making sure that we are, are not at our full strength uh, to go out and do our assignments. So please take uh, tremendous care of yourself. Uh, get rest, eat well, and uh, we will be in touch, Mr. Woods. Thanks, Brother Gus. I uh, appreciate you giving me the time. Just, you know, say what I have to say. And um, I wish you all the best in what you do, because what you do is very important. Thank you so much. Peace yeah. and blessings. Indeed. Enjoy your Wednesday evening. Take excellent care, Mr. Woods. Okay. Bye-bye. Good evening. Good evening. Context of white supremacy. That was the professor. Charles Woods, second time on The Cows. You can check him out. Real Black YouTube channel. Lots of great information. Uh, he was a guest on the program the first time around in 2016. Autumn 2016. I uh, hope it provided some constructive uh, information uh, for folks listening in. Uh, again, hopefully not uh, disparaging uh, Mr. Singleton, who is a victim of racism. I've said that repeatedly, victim of white supremacy, uh, who, you know, should still be with us. Uh, but it's just a thing Mr. Woods said it repeatedly in a system of racism, white supremacy. Many of the things that pop up in a film, even if it is written, directed, produced by a black person, whites directly, indirectly get their paws on a lot of these projects. Um, I think I did say at the top of the broadcast, last 25 years, if you have a film that will not make you wretch, uh, if it's predominantly black cast, black director, 1994 to 2019, you can let me know. I heard we got one, I think, uh, The Great Debaters, which it's been a while since I've seen that one, but I, I did see it. I don't remember feeling nauseous afterwards, so that might qualify. Uh, but for me, it's difficult, generally speaking, if it's, you know, a quote-unquote black movie, the bellies of the world. Uh, I'm trying to think of things that would fall in that. Soul Plane aforementioned, Marvel's Black Panther, anything associated with Lee Daniels, I'm good. Creed, you can put that in there. Dear White People, I'm good. All of that. The Butler, I'm good. All of that. Uh, I, I can't even think of anything. It would be a real, especially in that time frame, Woo. maybe the great debaters will have to see uh, any other folks who dialed in have a comment question they wanted to make sure they share before we uh, wrap things up uh, caller from a block greetings Ivy sorry if I missed you if you had a hand up while Mr. Woods was still with us no, I didn't at all. Um, when you were when you were just speaking about a um, a caller from a block number, were you talking about me? Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. I don't want to jump ahead of anyone. Um, greetings, Gus, and greetings to um, all the callers on the line. I mean, I don't know. It's not all of them. The vast majority, in my opinion, of your programs are constructive. But I thought this one was especially constructive. Um, I really um, enjoyed the guests and, and what all you and him had to say. And I really appreciated how you pointed out, um, well, I'll put it this way, because I don't want to put words in your mouth. But in my view, the non-constructive aspects of higher learning, which, again, as has been pointed out so many times on this program tonight, I do not blame 
uh, Mr. Singleton for at all. I think that he, you know, he really wanted to do a lot of constructive work, and in my opinion, he did. Um, the interesting thing is I used to love that film. I used to love higher learning. But as I've become less confused, I despise that film, and that is just really me putting it mildly. Um, I don't. I don't think that there's anything constructive about it at all. I don't care what constructive things even Ice Cube said in the film because again he was left back six times. Um, it's it's like ludicrous in in the movie Crush where he was you know saying a lot of profound things but he was a criminal the whole time. Um, and I just think you know it's been pointed out so many times that you know some films that they just have white fingerprints just all over it. And that's really unfortunate, and that that show that goes to show, you know, Mr. Singleton's um, victimization. But I really appreciate him as a filmmaker and the things that he tried to do and the things that he did do. Just even trying to depict um, black people in college and, and things like that, and so many other things that he he did. Um, um, as far as like white chicks, for an example, that's not new, especially to the Wayans brothers and even the Wayans family, um, because they. They they um dressed up as as uh as black women and and mocked us and um in living color, um you saw that um and so at least this time it was white females and their 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 motives could have been you know to to mock you know white females and I understand that you know they would be mocked as well because they are you know being a feminine and they're they're dressing up like um women. But whatever the case, um, Mr. Woods, he made a statement about, you know, white people, they want to desecrate our image, but it's even it's even more, I guess, savage for lack of words when um, we so-called uh, do it to ourselves and you know, all this and that. Well, first of all, that's generalizing. That's number one. Number two, I don't think that it's, necessarily worse in that sense when we do it ourselves because my view is this black people have been deprived of resources our whole lives so the Wayans brothers they need the money and as you see Bill Cosby an innocent man sitting up in prison right now it don't matter how much money you have all of that money can be taken away from you and that's what they are methodically doing to him right now so you know black people need the money what's the excuse for white people to desecrate our image the way that they're doing. So no, it's worse on their part, and I'm almost done. Um, it's worse on their part desecrating our image the way that they do. And then also as well, just even, you know, their influence in, in any of these movies made by any of us. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say is that in my view, to answer your question, I would say Nate Parker's Birth of a Nation, um, because you just had, you know, black people, they were being victimized, and they... They stood up for themselves and they defended themselves and they, they practiced self-defense and counter-violence and they didn't have no white savior or anything. And that's why white people hated that movie and they did everything they could um, to to destroy and sabotage the sales of that movie. There's so many things that they did. I don't even go all into it because I've been talking too long as it is. But they did um, so many things and, and, and desecrated his image, um, Nate Parker's image, uh, making him out to be a rapist even though he's not a rapist. And the the woman that he was, I don't even, I'm about to call her name. I'm going to leave that alone. But anyway, she, he, he's not a rapist, and she, he's just not a rapist. But, um, I, yeah, I, I would say uh, 
Yeah, the birth of a nation. Nate Parker is the birth of a nation. And that was it. I'm in my line. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, guys. Twofer, Nate Parker on the list twice for films that will not make you vomit that were produced in the last 25 years. He was in The Great Debaters also. How about that? Uh, I have not seen Nate Parker's The Birth of a Nation. I think I have it on my hard drive and have not seen it. I don't do slave flicks. Um, Generally speaking, that still is a slave flick. So I would have to... That's just another flat code. I'd have to compromise to watch that one, but... I have heard constructive things. Several, I think, Cows listeners did say that they watched that film and that they liked it. So one of these days I will work up to viewing that one. That might be my favorite film all time. I just need to set aside time to view it. Um, As for higher learning, I've had that happen as well. I think others uh, can also attest to that. Just as as we learn more, uh, you get a different understanding uh, of films, books. Uh, It can be... Uh, an incredible experience uh, for something that, as you said, you used to have uh, tremendous affection for, and then you come to get a different understanding and find it to be repulsive. Um, I can I can only say with higher learning, it's so sympathetic towards Re- it's way more sympathetic towards Remy, the white terrorist who kills Tyra Banks and assaults uh, Omar Epps' character, and just is <laughs> he's, he's I mean the epitome of a white race soldier. It's way more sympathetic to him than uh, the vast majority of the black killers who are in Mr. Singleton's films. Like, you get to see Remy as a picked on white guy many times who's just awkward and people call him names. White people call him names. Black people call him names. Like, he doesn't have any friends and he just falls in with the wrong crowd and, oh, just poor guy like uh it's way more sympathy for this racist white killer who calls him a coon he even says coon who says it repeatedly and uh then you then in my opinion then the type of sympathy that it's directed towards some of the other uh black villains uh who are in some of the film or in films period i would say uh any other folks comment question they want to get in before we conclude Yes, sir. Can I be heard? Retired firefighter. Just wanted to report, uh, as we are talking, uh, it started yesterday, I believe, uh, a nice documentary on Muhammad Ali. Uh, It's entitled, uh, What's My Name? Muhammad Ali, and uh, basically what I like about it is the, uh, I mean, there's tons of of film and pictures of him that have not been uh, publicized, and uh, you would see some of them in this this, uh, documentary series is a two-part series, Uh, so anyone who... uh, gets a kick out of uh, watching documentaries like I do. Uh, uh, it is on HBO uh, right now. Uh, and you know how HBO does. It, it, it'll repeat this program probably for something like a week or so, something like that. So uh, if you don't see it now and you want to see it, you can uh, look at it. Uh, not only clips, but also uh reports on 
some of the things that he uh, uh, said publicly uh, that uh, you haven't heard before. Uh, they even had him recite recite. Well, he he was he was uh, known for reciting poetry, but uh, they even had him singing. He can't sing, but nevertheless, uh, 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 I just wanted to report that that I saw that uh, yesterday. And it's still on. Much obliged, retired firefighter. I'm sure folks will be able to check it out. Uh, we have one last comment uh, before we get ready to wrap things up. We'll be here tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. James Lowen, Sundown Towns. we Talking about some of the exact same subject matter. Uh, last comment or folks satisfied? Thank you so much, Gus, for what you said about uh, uh, Michael Rappaport, the race soldier. Like you are the real MVP. Your your um, your commentary on that is just excellent. What you just said a, a moment ago. I'll mute my line. Best casting job in the history of cinema, easily, no contest. Michael Rappaport, Remy the racist. In fact, it was so good. Spike Lee took a note and hired Michael Rappaport in Bamboozled. I mentioned that one before. Hired him to be the racist uh, television producer who greenlights the racist uh, minstrel show in Bamboozled. That was a great hire too, but he he took uh, notes from the legend John Singleton. Did it first. Higher Learning, 1995. Uh, We will be here tomorrow. As I said, the book club reading is more important than watching television. Thanks all for tuning in. I hope it was worthy of your time and energy. If you check out any of Mr. Singleton's works uh, and, you know, check out any of the clips or things that were mentioned this evening, uh, you can drop an email. Let us know. We can share your commentary as we proceed. Hustle and flow. I could not stomach that one. I had already watched that one a few times. I didn't even realize until prepping for today's broadcast, Empire, which I've never seen, is basically like the TV length version of Hustle and Flow. It's got the same people in it, uh, same plot premise and everything. Like uh, they never will see an episode of Empire because I saw Hustle and Flow. President uh, GW, what is you fool me once? Shame on you. Fool me twice. You get fooled once, can't get fooled again. That's what he said. Fool me once. Not going to be watching Empire ever. Traumatize me again. Much obliged uh, again. Sobriety would be best under conditions of white terrorism. Let's keep our brain computer together. That is a, a message uh, that I does think I do think comes across a few times where black characters are admonished about drinking in some of his films. It comes up in Poetic Justice, comes up in Boys in the Hood. Sobriety would be best. In addition to being sober, let's be buckled up every time we are in a vehicle. That comes across, too. They had that in uh, Baby Boy, even though it's lots of uh, non-constructive behavior. They do stop. Buckle up before they take off. Let's do all that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no, including staying off of the cell phone. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves, 
remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cows signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Uh, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.